have to be able to relate. I, I see founders all too often build great tech. They're like passionate about the thing that they built, but they can't convey to the other individual the, the results. Like, Welcome to Uptech Report. This is our Founders Journey series. Uptech Report is sponsored by TerraLeap. Learn how to leverage the power of video at TerraLeap.io. I'm excited to be joined by my guest again, Enrico Palmarino, who's based in Boston. He's the CEO and co-founder at BotKeeper. Uh, go back and listen to part one of our discussion where we dove into the, the product itself, how it is uh, automated bookkeeping, uh, supporting CPA firms, accounting firms in doing what they do using a combination of machine learning, AI, and skilled accountants themselves. Uh, but uh, good to have you gone again, Enrico. I want to hear more about your journey. This isn't your first venture. You actually mentioned the last uh, end of our first interview, 13 different ventures, two or three of them now uh, being able to succeed. Take me back, like all the way to the beginning. What was the what was the first product? Like, have you just always been an entrepreneur? I, I think so. I think I was, maybe you could say I was, I've always been rebellious. Uh, is probably a better way to put it, but yeah, I mean, as a kid, I was the the kid who was like selling candy at soccer games and had like a hot dog stand and then uh, started uh, buying vending machines and putting them in supermarkets and stores and then had a landscaping company and then, you know, a number of other drinks. I was doing energy drinks, like an energy drink distribution. I got into, you know, liquor distribution. I got like just a, a number. I had a, uh, yeah, a number of small businesses, custom ping pong balls, like you name it. And then uh, in college, one of those businesses uh, was uh, called ThinkLight. And it was like my end of freshman year, sophomore year, we started a business that basically automated lighting analysis and design for, we could 3D render very, very large pr properties in short order and allow you to customize with like a few clicks, how you wanted to, how you wanted to optimize the lighting level and where to put luminaires or lights within a, a building and then what technology would get you the best results. So it was like LED induction, you know, fluorescent, et cetera. Um, and that ultimately in doing all this analysis, we got a lot of data and then we use the data to patent and manufacture some of our own products and niche markets. And the long and short of it was, you know, by senior year, it, it was doing about eight and a half million in, in revenue and then went on to have a, a nice exit and wow. yeah, that, that let me start chasing, uh, chasing other passions uh, with, without having to beg others for capital or, you know, call it mortgage my life with debt and, and loans. So that, that is the place to be, but hold, hold on a second. I want to go back for a moment. Cause you were, you're referencing all these businesses you started with of, you know, um, the, the uh, vending machines and, and, and liquor things and that. And, but then you get to software, like what did that just happen naturally? Like what, what was the switch to a, a kind of a software company of analysis and uh, analyzing all these things from, from these other businesses? So I, like I, I grew up in central Massachusetts. So I was out in like the sticks. And I think like it was just as a kid, it was just very easy to conceptualize products, right. And, and hardware. Um, and in school, when I got into college, I'd done some computer programming and enjoyed it. Uh, but in high school, like we just didn't have like, call it, like we, we didn't have great courses there. And I had other businesses, so I wasn't like on the computer trying to like learn how to program. But in, uh, in college, I was um, doing uh, basically using like an access database to automate. We had a class project. It was go find something and automate that something. And I happened to see, you know, a, a guy walking around campus, analyzing lighting and flipping through a catalog and taking notes down on you know, graphing paper and 
enjoying stuff. I'm just like, that just seems like the catalog's a database, like a database that, and this analysis that he's doing, like, I don't know what he's doing, but I'll figure it out. Uh, I bet I could, you know, use uh, being a math major, a number of algorithms to, you know, compute it in an automated fashion. There you go. That was the, the founding, you know, sim- as simple as that. So yeah. you, you see, the, you see the idea for your actual uh, first uh, main company while you're in college as a college product pro- uh, project that turns into the company itself. Yeah. Yep. You make and it then, so uh, simple. That, uh, that business, I, I like, I got to hand it to Babson and they're, you know, great school and gave me, afforded me a lot of flexibility because running a business like that while trying to attend school would be very, very difficult. And so as a business grew and got popularity is a great trade-off. Like the more successful it was, the more attention Babson got uh, Babson allowed me to have like some of my class projects where, you know, I was thinking about opening an office in Turkey. So here's five students that will put the business, you know, uh, plan together for you to do that. And so it was great. I got to do a lot of things in school that, you know, help benefit my business. That's, that is probably not easy to replicate, but a, a nice position to be in that the, the symbiotic relationship. Now for, for that, you, you founded it yourself. Uh, you were the only owner of no, that. I was a, uh, my uh, co-founder was a uh, Dinesh Wadwani. So it was, gotcha. uh, you know, kind of college doormates. Nice. I think we were just workaholics and that's how we found each other. Everyone told us like, you guys never sleep. You're always working on these other ventures. You should meet. And uh, the first day we met, I was like, I've got this idea. And he's like, that's awesome. We pulled an all nighter, like working, working on it. And you know, the rest is history. The rest. And it still, it still runs. Like he's uh he and his brother have actually since um, uh, taken over and uh, continuing to run the company today. So Wow. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool to see the trucks drive by from time to time, or they just did a big project lighting up uh, the Prudential Center in uh, in Boston, which is a pretty big building. Not many uh, founders who start something can say that that it just continues to live on without them, uh, long beyond. So, that's you got good people and good systems in place. You know, that's the the ultimate goal. It's now, from from there. Right. Uh, tell me what was the journey then after that? Because that what you you that was you exited two thousand thirteen, I think. That's correct. Uh, two thousand. 11 or 12. Gotcha. Oh, okay. So gotcha. Board, board of directors. I see right there. Um, but then that's still many years until uh, Botkeeper. So what was the journey in between? So the, the biggest headache we had um, was just our finance and accounting keeping up and trying to find one. Uh, don't I play an account on TV, but I'm not one in, uh, in person. So um, finding, hiring, like, and getting the right skill sets. And then even then you're still limited by, you know, eight hours a day uh, and to be able to get things done. And our business with that level of growth just had a lot of complicated account. And I always just wanted reports faster. I wanted greater analysis or detail. And I'd find, I'd get a report right before I was going to a bank to get a loan. And I'd be like, shoot, these numbers, this is like wrong. And where is the error? And I, so basically I saw the opportunity to be like, well, let me get into cloud accounting. And so I, I joined a husband and wife uh, and, and their practice. They had, you know, started a small uh, bookkeeping operation and teamed up with them and invested money and then grew a cloud accounting practice and uh, to solve that problem for SMBs and then ran into, you know, the glass ceiling. Like we were turn, we had to turn away business and we had clients who we were booking onboardings out like three months plus in advance just because, you could only do do certain aspects with people so fast and the finding, the hiring and the, the budgeting of 
this supply and like, will the demand be there and ma managing utilization rates of staff, just really hard. And so, yeah, the, the, that's where the concept for BotKeeper is born. Unify the app stack, make it simpler and easier for the accountant to manage their clients and get the work done. And then use that app stack as a data exchange to get data from the SMB, automate uh, a lot of the processing with machine learning and, uh, and then relay back the result in an analyzed format to the, the SMB and the accountant to then be able to offer additional advice. So um, you invest your money, you're like, I got to do something. And I had, I, I was annoyed by accounting. So you, you, st you just joined forces with other folks. And this is SmartBooks Corp? Yes, this is SmartBooks. Okay. Uh, to, to build this company. And then you start to realize, wow, scaling, we can only get to a certain point. There's issues with the stack itself, which then leads to the, the inception and concept of, of BotKeeper. Yeah. And I, I mean, I attended a number of conferences, like these accounting conferences and everyone's biggest problem, like top two problems were finding talent and retaining talent. And it just, it was, I feel like if it was say said three times at one conference, it was said five times at the next one, 10 times at, you know, the following year, and you could just see it was this growing problem. And then I looked, started looking at the statistics behind it and accountancy, you know, accountants going out into accountancy, it was down 20% year over year. Um, yeah, and 72% of accountants that leave an accounting job leave the industry altogether. So they're not even, the pool is, is diminishing. A lot of baby boomers are accountants and they're retiring. So, yeah. You, you saw the issue on on a macro scale uh, overall that this was this was going to be an issue. So that leads to you to to Botkeeper. Now, any three? Well, it wasn't the first one. Or actually, I'll, I'll just ask point blank. Any three of these ventures? Did you raise funds or was always uh, self funded? SmartBooks was totally self funded, um, other than you know contributions of owners. Um, the ThinkLight, you could say we raised. We we actually went out and tried to do like an angel round. If you're like, ah, oh, that concept, like I don't get it. Just it, seems like it'd be really complicated and we're like it is and that's why that's why if we can do it it's, it's going to be a big business um so we we raise capital in the form of like loans like lots of credit card debt um and all the things that i'd say like you really shouldn't do and i was like personally liable for like a million dollars in debt and that could totally ruin your life you were I, liable I, for a million dollars of debt yeah personally on top of school loans and top of the college loans. Right. So like that could mess up someone's life for like a long time. Um, and oh, you believed that much in it. Yeah. And we just, you know, we knew it got to a point where like we then I think doubled that personal liability because we were just like, well, I'm kind of already screwed if uh, this doesn't work out. So <laughs> that's $2 million in personal debt. Uh, but, uh, but it worked and, you know, we, we, we got where we want to go with a lot of hard work and a lot of great people. You made a mention earlier, once you exited there, like then, then you didn't have to worry about debt anymore. Now I, now it makes a connection. You, you had it and you're like, now I don't have to worry about that, that debt any, anymore. Now for, for Botkeeper, did you, you raise funds for this or did you also just self-invest or? So I self-invested in the beginning. And a lot of people are like, how did you build that? Like, how did you bootstrap Botkeeper and build that? And I'm like, it's not fair to really consider. Like, I know people who bootstrap. We bootstrapped in luxury boots. I put about a million of my own capital into it, which is like, you can call that a VC level, you know, investment to get it off the ground. And then we went on to raise, like, since then we did a, a four and a half million seed. We did a, an $18 million a round. Then most re last year we did a $25 million B round. So wow. we've, we've raised about 47 and a half million uh, to date. So it's building what we built is not cheap <laughs> and not easy. 
when, when it comes to that much development of the, the, the stack and the engine behind it, obviously you, you can't cheap out on both the developers or the, the folks to, to build it. And you're at, uh, I think you said in the last interview about three, three, closing 300 folks yeah. now. Yeah. And we're still hiring. So uh, check out our job postings. I love that. So not, not a small team, but a, a big vision of where you're headed. Can, and can you share any advice on this uh, raising funds um, and, and, and being able to get that for, for other founders? So I think like it starts with uh, the story you're going to tell. So you, you have to be able to relate. I, I see founders all too often build great tech. They're like passionate about the thing that they built, but they can't convey to the other individual the, the results. Like, why is this great? What's the value it's providing to the market other than the underlying tech? So first work on simplifying how you're explaining what you're doing with, with backup and supporting details to like the how and why but leave that second. Like for, if someone can understand the concept and likes believes that this is solving a problem and people would pay money for it, then you can show them the technical how and why. Um, and then two, you got to, if you're going to go out and raise, you have to do it. It has to be like a full-time job and you have to do it methodically. Like you can't casually raise money because if you're casually raising, you know, there's no incentive for anyone to pull the trigger now versus just kind of wait around and see what other people are doing. And, you know, see how things play out. So you, you got to follow a process. I actually, I did a whole video uh, out there called how I raised it. If you like Google my name, how I raised it. It was like a 45 minute talk I give about the process and the methodology to doing it. One thing is funding. The next thing is actually building the team to make it happen. Yes. Uh, now at, at close to 300 folks or at 300 folks, what can you share of, of actually going at the very beginning, what was your first hire, uh, crucial hire that, that you made? So I looked at uh, the the people I knew, like my my relationships, my network, and said, "I want to build." And this is the other thing: great advice for entrepreneurs out there. If you're founding a company, you can't do it by yourself. You need a team because while you're building tech, you're not selling, marketing, or operating. While you're selling, you're not doing any of the other, and so on and so forth. So find a team of like four people that can own those different chunks. Each don't overlap each other. And that's how you're going to move faster. So I looked at my network and it's like, I know this guy, Louie, who sold to SMBs. He like understands it. He understands finance. He's well net. Like everyone loves him. He'd be great running sales. I, my sister and I, we've done, she was at SmartBooks with me and we've done other ventures together. And it's like, she's awesome when it comes to marketing and she loves building. Like she started, like she kind of taught herself how to program. So like, oh, she can help me out in those two areas. Then uh, I, uh, uh, another friend of mine was a CPA. So he can make sure that like from a technology standpoint, from an operating standpoint, the result is accurate and where we need it to be. And then um, uh, 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 Justin DeBosch joined. And here's a guy who I got, I met at an event who just like had a plethora of information and know-how and uh, could hack. Like he was like, he was not gonna, if someone told him no, it can't be done, he was going to prove to you that it could. And so, you know, with that team, we got it off the ground and yeah. And then continue to just hire great people. That's the key to success. Hire people way smarter than you at everything in the business and you can't go wrong. So one piece is, is the funding to money to get started. The next piece is to have a good team, but then you do need clients and, and, and customers working particularly uh, in the SMB space, it does come to quantity in, in many ways to, in order to, to scale. Yep. What are some tactics that you have found have worked really well 
in order to grow and market and get attention. So it, one, you want your, all your clients to be raving because if they're coming in the door and then going out the back door, you're going to be, it's a uphill battle that you're probably going to lose. And the more raving that they are, the more referrals that you're going to get. And if you can find means of like distribution. So you know, we got heavily involved with associations and got you know well-networked into different groups where people there were like, oh, you need bookkeeping, you use Botkeeper. Um, and, and other people in those groups, oh, who do you use? I use Botkeeper. And so you start to build critical masses in small pockets of you being like the de facto choice. Um, and, and so that works out really well. And then ideally, if you can find a, a channel to, to, especially if you're going to be selling to SMBs, that can help you get a lot of SMBs for a low cost because managing the LTV to CAC ratio is pretty difficult in selling to SMBs. And for us, that's, we have a many to many. So we have relationships with partners that help us sell us into accounting firms. Those accounting firms have many, and there's many accounting firms and those accounting firms have many clients. And so that's kind of the ideal. Many to, to many. How long did it take you to develop um, each of those different uh, verticals and, and channel channel partners? A long time and a continued process. So, because <laughs> it takes it takes credibility. You have to you have to establish, and that's why if you start with like a pocket, you can start establishing some level of credit, credibility and critical mass. And then that can be used as like, it works and look at all these people that love it. And when you're building the partnership, the first thing you should ask yourself is how do I bring value to them? Like, that's all I care about. Anytime we enter into a partnership, it's how do I generate as much value for you? And if I do that successfully, we can talk about generating value for me because more often than not, who you want to partner with is more established than you are. So you just got to put your best foot forward to help them first. And if you do that, well, they're going to inevitably help you. That's powerful for you as a, as a leader. Um, what's your typical day look like? A lot of meetings, um, but, uh, but I, I organize. So I, I try to block out like two days a week where it's just like, I get to just think about the business and what we're doing and work on a few big projects um, or a few goals I've set for the quarter. Uh, it's, you know, I, I block out a day. I only manage the team one day a week. So, and I even say like, I'm not managing the team. I'm say providing, I'm a sounding board or providing advice or guidance on things one day a week. So I have a, a stack day from eight to six thirty or so and meetings back to back to back, um, with different department heads and teams. And, uh, and then the way that lets me do is, it's just, I can be one track focused for that day on that sort of thing. It's grueling and I'm exhausted by the end. But then the other days, you know, I'll have days where I've got meetings and I'm just like sales focused, but it's, it's, it's different. It's like, I'm, I'm more working on the thing than let's call it like having a traditional meeting. Uh, did it look, when did it transition to that? How, what did it look like at the beginning when you were a founder? How did, how would you organize your days then? Or has it always been that way? <laughs> so I always carved out, um, uh, I, I basically it was like nights in the beginning when you're a founder and you don't have a big enough team, you got to be doing more and more of the, the you got to be thinking and doing uh, all the time. And so what I try to do is carve out like a day uh, or two, if I was lucky, but like a day of just thinking and working on big problems and nights were dedicated to big problems and weekends were dedicated to problems. So I'd basically say like Saturday was work on the business uh, and during the week I'd be working in it except for nighttime. You know, I wouldn't touch email. I'd just be, all right, what's this next thing that we need to solve and how do we get there? Mm -hmm. 
for you also as a leader, where have you gotten good insights, any books, podcasts, audiobooks that you can recommend? Yeah. I've, uh, I mean, there's, there's a ton of great books out there. Um, one that I, I think puts a, you know, for a lot of entrepreneurs, you're a little, I think we're all a little chaotic and we get excited and passionate about things. And this idea of structure is, uh, you know, a little, not our natural tendency or inclination. So a great book I'd recommend is Traction. Um, it's kind of teach you the entrepreneur operating system. It's, it's a good framework for just adding a structure to the business, which every business needs. Um, so I, I, I highly recommend that. And then uh, I've been reading um, a book about basically like living in the, the age of AI, uh, which is pretty cool to see what the, the possibilities of that are. If you go back to yourself, um, when you started... Um this beginning of this venture, even the previous venture, uh, and you could tell yourself one thing, what would you, what would you say to yourself? I'd probably just say, make higher, higher up. I think is probably like a, you know, punch a weight class above where you think you, you need to be. Um, so, you know, uh, what I, what we did initially, I think was, you know, we'd, we'd hire people that would solve the problem and the need that we had today based and like, they would have the skill and the background to support that. But what I found is like, when I started to be able to hire people that were like, they'd, they'd seen that. And then they saw like two or three levels beyond that. Those people, it was awesome because they would come in and they would be pulling botkeeper up to a level that they were used to operating at um, versus you know, solving the problem today and then botkeeper kind of pulling them up. So if you can find people that are, yeah, a weight class or two above, you know, this current stage you're in uh, and convince them to join, then it does make a huge difference. That's powerful. to, to they, they have their learnings, right? They have, they've already made the mistakes and they made them at the next level that you're hopefully going to achieve. Yeah, that, that is, that is powerful. Uh, to kind of close this out, um, any tech predictions that you want to make uh, in the, for the near term? What do you see coming up in the next year or two or a little bit longer, five, 10 years from now? Yeah, so I, from a technology standpoint, I think um, you in an ideal world, I think accounting is going to become this, uh, is going to effectively run on blockchain um, just because there'll be this, you know, call it world uh, global ledger. Um, and, and I just, this is like global distributed ledger because ultimately if, if enough businesses start kind of operating on one platform and the platform structured the right way to, to store map, you know, learn off the data, tag it accordingly. The idea that like one client's credit is another client's debit, uh, should like, there shouldn't be this idea that like you run in a silo and you buy and sell and expense things. And and you're selling to this other company, but they're, they're having to do the accounting totally separately. It should just be interconnected. And I think, you know, in 10 years, you probably have this globally distributed ledger that uh, is widely used by, uh, you know, by the world. And yeah, the, the transactions are not siloed anymore. They're related. That is a fascinating um, concept that, would simplify a lot of things, but I wonder how transparency plays a role then. Does everyone know what everything is happening and how, how does that affect? You'd only know, you'd only know what's on your books because it's, you know, encrypted, right? So right. The, the other party would see the other side of the transaction. And in the ideal world, this would also be really great for governments too, because you'd eliminate this, you know, call it tax loops or tax holes. And here I am a business owner saying like, yes, it'd be better if 
tax structure was totally simplified and and there wasn't a lot of time spent you know trying to game the system like that those resources could be used to you know better the better the world so let's assume we're all in this in this blockchain what's the role of a cpa or an accounting firm the advice like uh it's it's one thing to get the data in there accurately uh it's another thing to actually make sense of it so to be able to like look at it and understand the trends and what does this mean for your business most entrepreneurs are innovators they're passionate about the thing that they're doing they're not an accountant um and so you need accountants that can tell them you know while making this huge investment in machinery seems great right now is it going to cripple your company and the ability for you to you know hire even the sales people that you need to get the units volume you need to grow into this machine you want to buy so yeah the the accountant will always have a role um and hopefully more accounts go into the space because i think it's needed well, thank you so much for, for sharing your future predictions, this insight that you've had from growing multiple businesses and the, the journey that you've been on. Thank you so much for your time, Enrico. Thank you, Alexander. Appreciate it. Now, definitely go back to listen to our first episode to understand more about BotKeeper and the cool things that they're doing. And you can also go over to BotKeeper.com. We'll see you guys on the next episode of Uptech Report. That concludes the audio version of this episode. To see the original and more, visit our Uptech Report YouTube channel. If you know a tech company we should interview, you can nominate them at uptechreport.com. Or if you just prefer to listen, make sure you're subscribed to this series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app.